1: talk about the self in Buddhism. Uh, We're trying to explain the idea of
0: no self and get involved
1: in ideas like the emptiness of the self or the impermanence of the self or the interdependency of the self.
0: But this talk
1: often leaves unaddressed a, a, another important dimension. Uh, that's the dimension
0: that includes things like continuity, commitment, vow, tradition, habit. Character. And
1: it seems sometimes that it's very hard to link up these two kinds of discourse Uh, the one that insists on the impermanence and emptiness of the self, and then the other, which is all about.
0: what has to
1: be permanent and carry on and maintain itself day in and day out and year in and year out. In our ordinary way of talking about things like Commitments or vows or habits. We often use the language of choice or decision or will. I make a vow. I make a decision. I make a commitment. To go to the gym every day. To show up in the Zendo every day
0: to pay my bills on time,
1: to get married, to sign a mortgage, right? All of these things are framed in the language of a me who's making choices
0: and decisions. And if we say the me is empty, or impermanent, how are all these things happening?
1: And how is a commitment made to do something a year from now, or ten years from now?
0: Or to commit
1: to a habit that I'm going to engage in every day? Why aren't all these things some fundamental sense undermined, if not invalidated, by the impermanence of the self?
0: And one response to this dilemma I'd like to suggest is that we, our language has things uh, exactly backwards. We want to talk about,
1: I make a vow or I make a commitment. Or I make a habit as if the I is our starting point and that I then decide to start to do X, Y, and Z.
0: But what if we think of it all happening in the other direction? that I engage
1: in things like commitments and habits and traditions and vows and the doing of those
0: things generates a me.
1: That I am the product and the sum of the things I'm doing, the things I commit to and these add up to the Values and ideals that make my character, that make me who I am.
0: Now, it can
1: get into a situation where we can sort of have a chicken or egg problem and we don't quite know what comes first. But I think that. A lot of what happens in progress, in practice, is that we allow ourselves to be shaped by something that we commit to. We don't really know what we're getting ourselves into. We don't really know what it's going to do to us or how we're going to look when we come out the other end. But for whatever reason, we fall under the sway of practice or a
0: teacher or an idea. And we give ourselves over to this
1: discipline and this community and this tradition. And after time, it makes us who we are. Part of what I'm suggesting is that in reversing our ordinary way of talking about things, uh, we stop seeing will or motivation as something that's inside us and that we exercise. But rather, we see the form of life that we're participating in creates in us certain things that are like commitments and motivations. And
0: I think this happens at every kind of level. You know, I think at the
1: simplest uh, daily level, I can look at the unmade bed. I can look at dishes in the sink. From one perspective, I can stand there and ask myself, do I really want to make the bed this morning? Do I want to wash those dishes now? And I try to say, do I feel like doing that? Do I want to do that? Is there something I'd rather do? How important is it? That's a kind of description that starts with me and how I'm feeling and what I wanna do and whether maybe I'm a procrastinator or I have the willpower to do something that's a little unpleasant or boring. And will I decide to make the better not? But I think from the perspective of practice, After a while, it starts to feel like the motivation is actually outside, not inside. And then it feels like the bed needs to be made. The dishes need to be washed. The motivation to do them is sort of in the situation itself. Uh, In a funny way, the... The made bed, unmade bed, calls out to me that it needs to be made.
0: Now, that kind of
1: call and response depends on a kind of whole circular system in which I become the kind of person who makes their bed every morning. And when you're that kind of person and you see an unmade bed, you make it. And when you make the unmade bed, you reinforce the fact that you are the kind of person who makes their their bed every day. It becomes a kind of virtuous circle. And it's unclear where the starting point is after a while. But it doesn't make any sense anymore to ask, do I want to make the bed? Because I'm a certain kind of person who naturally is going to respond to that situation in a certain kind of way. The same thing happens to me every day in terms of coming to sit with you all. You know, come six o'clock in the evening, I don't particularly ask myself, do I want to sit this evening? Do I feel like it? Do I think it's going to be good for me? No, it's six o'clock. It's time to sit. So I sit. And in a way, I do that because I'm a person who's committed to doing that. And the doing of it makes me that kind of person. I think it's very interesting when we start to Picture things in terms of having our motivation
0: on the outside.
1: It's not so much about choice and decisions and willpower. It's just how are we going to respond to what's in front of us
0: and what needs to be done. Somebody
1: once told me that uh, there's a great adage for procrastinators it goes touch paper once All right if a bill comes in is if, if you pick it up and touch it well then you've got to you've got to pay it then if there's a email or a letter you know this comes from the days of letters once you pick it up you answer it you never pick it up Put it down, put it in a to do pile for some other day and let it, all those, you know, bills and letters and chores pile up and procrastinate. You only touch paper once. Uh, the motivation is sort of in the commitment to just doing things that way. When something needs to be done, you just do it.
0: In a way, it's uh, it's very freeing.
1: Sometimes people hear a thing like that and they feel like they're being forced to do something. But it's a big have to. If I open the bill, I have to pay it right away. But actually, my experience of that kind of thing is that it's enormously freeing because you're not thinking about it all the time. You're not arguing with yourself. Should I do it now? Should I do it later? Do I feel like doing it uh, or, or not? All that's sort of eliminated. It's right there. So you do it. Now, maybe you think it might be hard to distinguish enlightenment from obsessive-compulsive disorder under these circumstances. Uh, Anything that can be done can be done badly. But there is something about settling into an automatic rhythm or set of habits that just carry you along. And a lot of what we do in practice is just s- step into that stream of habit. Uh, and the uh, Sashin is sort of the most concentrated example of that, where for a week or so, whatever, however long, we just sort of give up choice. And when a bell rings, we stand up. And when it rings again, we sit down and... When mealtime comes, we eat and we eat what we're served. There's a whole way in which we just surrender to the schedule and the rhythm and the discipline of sashin And I think it's one of the most valuable and persistent uh, lessons of Sashin to just surrender to that routine and discipline. You may have all sorts of stuff going on in your head. You may be sitting there doing Moo and you may have some big insight or you may sit there and be full of confusion for a week. But as long as you get up when the bell rings and just do the next thing, as long as you just keep showing up, regardless of what you think or feel, something's going to be happening at a different level. There's a way in which you oddly are liberated from choice and from likes and dislikes.
0: Now, doing that involves
1: a great deal of trust. You're surrendering to a discipline and maybe a teacher. Uh, or a form of life where you're surrendering decision-making and your own desire. Isn't that dangerous? Could be. It could be. Uh, That's often something that, uh, as I say, when we sign up, we don't necessarily know what we're getting ourselves into but we're allowing ourselves to be shaped.
0: I thought about this talk this morning. I had this old memory of uh,
1: being a teenager and this must have been back in around 1967,
0: say. And
1: I took my girlfriend to a Simon and Garfunkel concert that was happening at uh, in Forest Hills in Queens. That was, it was a big date, it was a big deal as a teenager to go do such a thing. But the opening act for Simon, Simon and Garfunkel turned out to be the doors You know, I think Light My Fire had just come out, and The Doors did this opening act, which, you know, I think couldn't have been a bigger mismatch for most of the audience there to see Simon and Garfunkel, you know, to have Jim Morrison come out there in his black leather pants and everything else. And uh, it was just something completely uh, unexpected and different. And I listened to that opening set and I found myself saying, and I, I remember this after all those years, I'd follow him anywhere. <laughs> and it, it sort of even surprised me as I said it, you know, I mean, like I was a very, um, you know, ordinary nerdy high school kid from New Jersey and, you know, following Jim Morrison anywhere was probably not in the cards. And I am probably just as lucky that I didn't have any chance to put that into motion, but it says something about how we get captivated. We get pulled in, uh, by, by something, by charisma, by, uh, just an image of what we think is uh, you know, something new and uh, uh, just going to open up a whole new life. You know, I remember the other song I remember from those days. I, I now forget who whose it was, but I guess it was a British group. It was, uh, we got to get out of this place if it's the last thing we ever do. You know, I, I always thought that was the anthem of people growing up in suburban New Jersey, you know. Uh, So if you're in that situation, you're really susceptible to uh, join whatever circus comes through town. You know, you want to get out of here, right? Uh, And you can be lucky or unlucky about uh, the particular circus you join. And I, you know, I can look back at things and say I've joined some unfortunate circuses in my time. But in the long run, I got uh, pretty lucky uh, with the Zen circus and uh, uh, what that did to me to follow that one all these years. But it does raise this whole complicated question about. How it is that we come to fall in with or think we choose what we're going to join up with or surrender to. And I think this dovetails with uh, this week's reading uh, on the Sangha uh, by Kyogen, because, in a large part, as much as the teacher. The Sangha represents the, kind, the embodiment of the community and the discipline and the form of life that we're signing on for. And we, we look at these people and we look around and we you sort of have to decide, are these my people? Uh, do I feel like
0: I'm home here? And what uh, what goes into that kind of initial reaction or not?
1: Sometimes we get swept away by feeling like we've joined this ideal community. Sometimes we're faced with all sorts of people we can't quite understand, what am I doing here with this, with this crowd?
0: But Sangha, in a way, is sort of this display of your particular
1: choice or commitment or vow in action. Uh, You come in and you see this group of people doing all that, and well, this is how they've turned out. This is what it looks like to do this for, for a certain number of
0: years, right?
1: We have to, at some level, both allow ourselves to be shaped by that kind of immersion and at some point decide is this working? Is this healthy for me? Do I belong here? It's a very strange dialectic between being shaped and choosing and making a commitment. And this happens at every level in terms of making vows when we study the precepts or becoming my student or becoming a member of the
0: Sangha. We're both choosing and we're being chosen.
1: And the interplay of that is something that is actually rather subtle and mysterious. In a strange way, we we are choosing to allow ourselves to be acted on and to be shaped by this tradition and this discipline and this community and this teacher. We give ourselves
0: over to that.
1: What kind of person will we become? What kind of I will be forged in the crucible of that particular set of habits and disciplines? That's what we're here to find out.